WMNF Tampa, where music, news, and culture collide. You are tuned to your community radio station, WMNF. This is the public affairs program called Community Speaks. My name is Patro Mabili, your host for this public affairs program. And uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things. The community will have an opportunity to have a public discussion about two very important issues. That is human trafficking as well as criminal justice reform. And uh, we're going to be hopefully... Joined on the telephone by someone who's going to be participating in these public discussions. And uh, we'll talk about that today here on Community Speaks. And uh, also uh, keeping a watch on some of the other news. We know that the strikes are, they're dealing with the strikes. The Writers Union has reached a tentative deal with the Hollywood Studios to end historic strike. And uh, the UAW, United Auto Workers, are continuing to decide whether or not the uh, companies, the big three, are going to participate in uh, real talks. It looks like the company, Ford company, has the only one that has been getting high marks in, from the union in the middle of all of these strikes. And uh, so far, the strikes have been more strategic, more targeted. Uh, so we've got to keep a watch on that. But also, one of the groups of workers in this country who have historically been mistreated and overlooked on the job, and that are, those are restaurant workers. And so, in the coming weeks, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about what restaurant workers are having to go through. We'll talk about the history of tipping, how it comes right out of slavery, and some of the issues of sexism involved that still hangs with us today in terms of how restaurant workers are treated, especially women. So... Keep it tuned in the coming weeks as we'll talk about all of those issues. But today, we're keeping our focus on these two community discussions that are coming up. One surrounding human trafficking. And we're going to start with that today. You know, as federal law defines uh, trafficking victims, or part of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000, defines severe forms of of uh, recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for sex trafficking in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or induced to perform such act has been attained uh, from a person 18 years of age or not only sex trafficking but labor or services trafficking. Uh, labor trafficking through the use of force, fraud, or coercion. And, you know, we thought we fought against slavery. We still need an abolitionist project against human trafficking, which is a more modern form of enslavement. And uh, Florida law defines human trafficking as a form of modern-day slavery. And uh, the victims can be children, teenagers, and adults. And we've seen evidence of all of that. You know, this subjugation to involuntary servitude, even to this day. And in this state, it's happening in all 50 states. And there's going to be an opportunity to talk about this subject. 
on a panel discussion coming October 12th at the Woodson African American Museum. That's going to be a panel discussion uh, called How to Stop Human Trafficking. And we're joined on the telephone by Michelle Walker, who's going to be on that panel coming October 12th at the Woodson African American Museum. And so Michelle Walker joins us here on Community Speaks. Thank you, Michelle, for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it, and I'm thankful for the conversation. Yeah, and it's an important conversation. It seems like, you know, a new abolitionist project is needed. <laughs> yeah, it's one that's definitely um, been around for a while, and I think that um, for the majority of us here, especially locally, we think that these things only happen overseas or internationally, but we do have these things happening right in our backyard and just, um, my primary focus is really just to help bring awareness to it. So more awareness, people know what's going on, they know what to look for, and um, just that's the only way to be able to combat the problem is to first identify the problem. Yeah, and that's where we'll start today. This is Michelle Walker. You're the executive director of Miracles Outreach. How do you get involved in this subject, in on this mission in the first place? And uh, how about the, the discussion? How is that planned? Um, so, honestly, it was not planned. That was not really how we started or got involved. We literally just started out helping kids and working in the community. Um, and the program that we have, we work with you. Um, it started as just a mentoring program and eventually opening residential homes that were for girls. And during this process, while we were working um, the first year, I would say in 2007, um, working with the residential program, we started having, we had difficult kids, those girls who are a little, little more hard to place and didn't seem to be still. But over time, uh, we had a FBI agent that reached out to us and wanted to know what we were doing and just basically told us that he had been looking for these 17, we had a list of about 17 girls and of the 17, we had served 11 of them. And in mm. the process, our name kept coming up and he just wanted to know what we were doing. And as we, as we worked with him, we found out that, oh, this was human trafficking victims. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just knew everybody always say trouble, runaways, um, whatever yeah. else <laughs> category that they would put this group of kids in. And we later found out it was trafficking. So that's how I became involved and even learned, you know, that it was real, a true meaning and definition behind human trafficking. And this wasn't something that you just see on TV. And um, that was how we initially got involved. So, again, working with different task force over the years and having the opportunity to just learn how to provide services and work with these young victims that we work with to come out, you know, focus, yeah. So, and I can understand how runaways could be uh, vulnerable to this. How long do you feel this has been a problem, especially for young black uh, girls and, and maybe even boys. Right. Um, I guess it's been going on a lot longer than I knew about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, just definitely for me dealing with it since 2007 because, um, as I said, for me, our primary focus is not just victims of trafficking. We just happen to encounter several of those victims yeah. throughout the years and over the time. But I definitely see that it's definitely been a problem for years, especially those who run away or just looking for a place to stay. You get caught up needing a place to stay, needing food to eat, just being able to have 
and you're trying to meet those basic needs, but then you also have things where families do this. You look at people who are maybe drug addictions on the parents' end, and they're selling or trading their kids for drugs, money, whatever. So the definite, it's definitely been around for a long time. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, we're talking with Michelle Walker, and she's going to be on a panel, How to Stop Human Trafficking. And that's a big, that's a big question to tackle. And I see joining you on the panel is going to be St. Pete Police Department Chief Anthony Holloway and uh, St. Petersburg, uh, our Pinellas County Commissioner Renee Flowers. And uh, you're going to include survivor, a survivor and activist, Talisha Espinosa. And uh, is there a connection between, for instance, historically we've seen people trafficked by smugglers from, you know, across the border and uh, we've seen it around the world. Uh, is this another uh, wrinkle in the in the whole immigration or migrant debate? Um, I think it is in the migrant debate, but I always look at it. I try to bring it um, more on a local level for us because the reality is most people look at it just like smuggling or going to another country and being like the movie Taken. Mm-hmm. Is usually the reference that people see, but for us, it's important to bring that awareness to people to understand on a local level how we can pay attention and spot things. I know recently, um, I think early part of last year, there was a story in the news where the flight attendant had taken the training, and just by her remembering things that she learned in that training and that awareness, she paid attention, and it, it saved that young girl's life. You know, she was able to be rescued because the flight attendant noticed some things and she waited until they got off the flight and she had already put it in place so they were able to intercept. So it's being able to make people aware of, no, this is not just in that season when big events come to and from. People are transferred from one place to another so they're not even being smuggled. You're walking right past me. You have people who have events and parties going on where the trade is is right there happening. So we know we can't stop it, but we know that in order to stop it, people have to be aware. So that is definitely um, our primary focus. Um, we have, like you said, Chief Anthony Holloway of St. Pete Police Department. Um, Honorable Renee Flowers is participating on Pinellas County Commission. And again, a survivor, which is Talicia Espinosa, who, um, and the thing for Talicia, for me, that really ties it in is having been a child victim of trafficking. She was in foster care as well. Um, she survived it and and has a, now become an advocate and is able to work with young victims, helping them to learn how to cope and overcome and being able to share her story to be able to give them hope and also educating other people of the science, the you know things that we can pay attention to, right? And yeah. getting involved, yeah. That's what I think is going to be key because you could be looking right at a case of of uh, abduction for human trafficking and not know it. So what are some of the signs? I know that if you are a hotel worker, you might be face-to-face with it. Or even a restaurant worker, or as you said, a a flight attendant. You know, so it's it's a real understanding of if you see something, say something and do something. You might just be saving a life. Exactly. That see something, say something is huge. And I think that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest thing of all. Because even though you may not know what it is um, that you see and you may not be 100% sure they have tips 
um, lines that you can call in for to give a tip because that way they'll investigate it. They'll look it up. You don't know. You can do things anonymously. Um, but just like that young lady, just paying attention, she said that she noticed that, okay, this little girl is traveling with this guy, but she just kept looking and watching. It was just some things that were off. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't figure out what it was, but she notified somebody. So by the time they were able to get off the flight, they were able to stop them, ask questions. And that's the thing is being able to, their hand signals, which I can't, I know I can't do them here that they can recognize, but I would right. like to give the number, if you don't mind, for the um, National Human Trafficking Hotline. Certainly. Okay, the number is 888-373-7888. Or you can always text information as well to 233-733. And you can just put the information that you have and they'll follow up on it. And sometimes it may lead to something or it may not. But at the end of the day, if it does, you've done your part is just being able to pay attention to signs and just know if it don't look right, definitely see something, say something. You even have um, different forms of trap. You have labor trafficking, sex trafficking. I think one of the most common things we see labor trafficking-wise a lot of times can be agriculture or those groups that... Um, I'm trying to, I'm sorry, I'm having a, the, the, the groups that travel with the perfume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you've seen that where they call it different trafficking, trafficking groups in that setup. So. Right. And, and, and it's all sorts of industries, especially if it's a new industry get to take advantage of what is not known, such as. I understand that in California there was some kids being trafficked for labor trafficking in uh, mm-hmm. grow houses. Correct. Uh, so. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, yeah, it definitely spans. And a lot of times you will see, um, even with the orange groves, you have families that's trafficking kids. That's the way they're making money for their families. You have people that come over from other countries that's coming over being told that, oh, I'll bring your child over, we'll pay you money for her to come over, but then they end up becoming domestic workers or working in someone's home, right. taking your documents, whatever it is, to put them in a situation where they're bound by doing this and not being able to actually be paid, you know? So it's so much that we see. We see a lot of families that traffic kids. It's, it's amazing the stuff that we see, and it's heartbreaking because it's things you would never even think of, you know? Right, and it is heartbreaking. I think families are so uh, impoverished, uh, feel so economically depressed that they have to resort to something like that. Uh, that that raises a a question in my mind in terms of how the policies, especially on the schools, the uh, teachers are already feeling under threat for even mentioning certain words. So let alone trying to recognize something like human trafficking going on among their their children in the classroom. Yeah, how do you feel that that could be a problem in terms of how these new state laws on education might be harming that process of stopping human trafficking? Um, I just I, I definitely I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but I definitely feel that teachers they're on the front line. They can see, but uh, as you said, they are overworked. They have a lot already on their plate. But I think the most important part is them um, being aware to their students and just, you know, noticing that I, I think just to paying attention. 
Yeah. And just being aware, asking questions, talking to their kids. They have enough on their plate as it is, but a lot of times they're the ones who spend the most time, the most time with the kids, you know, and That's being right. able to just um, recognize something just out of place. Right. Could be wrong. You may not know what it is, but again, it's just asking the, asking the questions or just if they feel the need to take it a step further right. to do so. Yeah, I see the teachers and principals, educators in general, are in, in a unique position. Uh, this is Michelle Walker, and uh, this is a very important conf- uh, panel discussion that's coming on October the 12th at the Woodson Museum, which is uh, very good to know that the Woodson African American Museum of Florida is, is hosting this. And uh, just in case... I missed a question. If you have a question for Michelle Walker, you can call us, 813-239-9663. She'll be with us just for a few more minutes, 813-239-9663. Or you could write me, dj at wmf.org. And uh, so, yeah, Michelle, you said this is this is something that you basically just noticed uh, happening. And, and um, you were in a unique position uh, to get started on this, and how how long do you think um, this will take for us to finally deal with this? Because I'm I'm hearing politicians, especially on the right, have been exploiting this issue just as they've exploited the criminal justice issues. But I don't know how the state is really what the state is really doing to to work on this problem. What do you think? On the political front, this state is doing is it because it talks about it a lot, but do you think it is doing enough? Um, I think first, before they can um, solve the problem, we need to work on the laws from the perspective of dealing with um, the purchaser. They've they've come a long way as far as changing the laws pertaining to victims, as far as instead of arresting them and making them as a criminal, they've come you know, far enough to recognize that they're not the one that's the criminal, that they're actually the victim. So the mind, the shift of the mindset from it being there, being, them being criminals to understand that it is a victim because nobody just wakes up and decides this is what I want to do today. You know, again, it goes back to that force fraud and coercion piece for it to be a crime in the first place, but definitely working on laws, um, severe penalties for those who commit the crime because as long as you have people that can continue to do this and not have the tougher penalties and punishment is going to continue. When you have people who are, can still be the purchasers and know that, oh, it's not a big deal. So I think just as they continue to work on the laws that deal directly with the um, guys that purchase versus just, God, yeah, I'm thankful for, I'll just say I'm thankful for the strides they've made on the victim side. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely made a difference because you seeing kids being arrested and going to jail. You gonna get in and get out, but why I'm getting I'm getting a uh, record a record in the process that I was forced to do, not something that I chose to do. And it's it's frustrating because you know we have we have this debate politically, we have these political debates on on immigrants, but uh, it's it's important to understand what the victims are going through. But I'm disappointed that we focus so much on the victims and the smugglers keep getting away. They, it seems like they're invisible. And I don't know if they, if we as a society are working hard enough to go after the trouble, the, the, the people who are causing the trouble in the first place. Uh, I'm hearing, I'm reading a story about how 
there are people who are being smuggled from overseas from the the border and uh, they're being driven into the the desert the Arizona desert by these smugglers and that's where a lot of people end up dying is in that desert and in the meantime we still don't have a hand a handle on these smugglers so i think that that's uh that's going to be an important law enforcement piece and i'm glad to see that at least the St. Petersburg Police Department chief is going to be joining this panel on how to stop human trafficking. Yes, I definitely agree. And I think from the um, perspective of the smugglers getting away, it's easy. They, they move from one spot to another and you have to take in the fact with um, technology these days. A lot of things happen and set up online. And yeah. being able to arrange things online, you have people... Um, what they say, sex, extortion, using things, it rises among teens. They're um, extorting people for what they do. But being a smuggler, I don't even have to physically come and get you. I can contact you online and get you to meet me somewhere and then pick up. You can make the arrangements all online. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm just abducting you. Right. It, it's just it's so many other avenues to it now that they have to deal with and to take into um, consideration. You have... Um, police organizations that set up these things, but people do it anyway. You sit and talk and chat to it. You know you talk, think you're talking to a kid when you're really talking to a police officer mm-hmm. and they're using different types of things to be able to arrest people. They know it. You see it on TV. <laughs> they still do it. <laughs> they still do it. And it's not enough to stop them. So I think stopping them is, I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that for sure. <laughs> well, we definitely need to keep talking about it and keep putting pressure on those who are paid to just stop them. Well, Michelle, I want to thank you for joining me. This is a very important discussion, and we're going to see if we can get some uh, more information out of it when we, after the fact, after this uh, Thursday discussion. This is October the 12th at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. at the Woodson Museum. Uh, yes. Woodson African American Museum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if you would like more information, they can definitely um, give us a call at 813-374-2184, as well as um, on the website, miraclesoutreach.org. Um, but yeah, definitely would love to have everyone come out and join us and um, just be able to be take part and be able to just learn um, a few tips about how to recognize the signs and ask any questions that they may have and also be able to hear from solutions, someone who's been through it and it's now turning around and giving back to help others that's in that situation. So yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to sharing this with community and being able to just continue to get information out. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Community Speaks. That was Michelle Walker. And, uh, Give a give a call over to Woodson African American Museum if you need more information on the October 12th discussion on how to stop human trafficking. And we're going to continue to talk about another opportunity for this community to have an important discussion uh, when it comes to criminal justice reform. And uh, we're going to be joined by someone on the telephone to tell us more about that discussion and that opportunity and uh, what do people do to help alleviate criminal uh, 
to bring more fairness to the criminal justice system. Keep it tuned right here. This is Community Speaks. WMNF now and into the future by donating gifts of stock, real estate, retirement assets, or a life insurance policy. It's easy to leave a legacy of love. Just call Ian at 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org slash plant giving to get started today. Here on Community Speaks, here on WMF Radio 88.5 FM. I'm your host for this public affairs program, Patrick Mobili. We're going to turn our discussion to the criminal justice system, uh, talking about another opportunity for discussion. This is the Tampa Bay Criminal Justice Summit that will be coming your way. And uh, we have two people joining us on the telephone to talk about uh, this uh upcoming event, another opportunity for this community to have a, a discussion uh, in this time on criminal justice, and uh, we definitely need a discussion about that. We're joined on the telephone uh, here on Community Speaks with, by Kiara Rucker, Business and Community Engagement Manager, and it looks like we have two guests. Uh, the other guest, uh, Michael, are you there? I am. Michael. Uh, please yes. introduce yourself. I'm Michael Gelazzo. I am the CEO, Executive Director of People Empowering and Restoring Communities, PERC. Also, we are the Pinellas Ex-Offender Reentry Coalition, also PERC. We do a DBA's People Empowering and Restoring Communities. Happy to be here and talk about the summit and, and these issues. All right. Well, thank you for joining in. We're also joined by Kiara Rucker, and she's uh, with Operation New Hope. Thank you, Kiara, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. So this is a, a criminal justice summit. Tell us, uh, Michael, uh, when is this summit? Well, the summit is in October. Um, I have October 21st from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., I believe it's the 20th and 21st, mm -hmm. from what I understand, it's two days, um, at <laughs> taking place at Tampa Prep, um, 727 Cass Street in Tampa. Um, but I know that we're going to have a bunch of workshops and forums over a couple days with a lot of, you know, interesting people who've been doing work in this space over, well, if you start looking at the list over a long time, including myself, and certainly very familiar with Operation New Hope and the work they've done. Uh, in, in the Jacksonville area too, and around the state. Okay, and so, and you're you say you're part of the reentry program? Yes, uh, Perk. We actually have six offices in Pinellas and Pasco. Uh, we're in South Saint Petersburg. We're in the community redevelopment areas in downtown Clearwater and in High Point. 
They have a housing program, pretty extensive in kind of the high point area of Clearwater, unincorporated Pinellas County. Uh, and we also do uh, treatment in Newport Ritchie and Zephyr Hills. Um, and we, you know, we have a lot of job training programs. We're doing construction programs. So, you know, we, we do a lot of different things working with returning citizens so that hopefully they return to our communities in a place where they can be successful free of the criminal justice system. Uh, we know that politicians, especially on the right, constantly bring up uh, criminal justice or the rate of crime every election, but it seems like after the election is over, there's nothing done, no discussion about those who are caught up in the system and what to do about that. And uh, so it's, it's good to know that you're going to be on this panel and uh, you're going to be talking about people uh, reentering into society after being caught up in the system. Yeah, I think for Perk, we're specifically participating in two panels one on affordable housing and one on workforce development, which, you know, we really do a lot of work in both spaces. In fact, you know, our housing program probably have about 90 people in it. Um, and we're looking to grow that. One of the things that we're doing is we're in fact have just entered into an agreement with the Pinellas County housing authority to develop land where we'll build, um, between 60 and 65 tiny homes of affordable workforce housing that uh, returning citizens can certainly be eligible for, but not just for returning citizens. We do work with homeless veterans who are both criminally justice and not criminally justice involved. And, and just people who, you know, it, we, regardless of criminal justice, we're in the midst of an affordable housing crisis. My only leeriness in saying that is it was a crisis 15 years ago not really sure what to call this is really finding affordable housing for just people who don't make much money. You know, I have school teachers who left my daughter's school because they can't live anywhere near where they work. I think there are different issues we have to address, let alone with affordable housing for returning citizens. And certainly if we, you know, can continue uh, to provide career pathways, for returning citizens where they're making a living, a living wage that is ascending not only in amount of pay, but in terms of opportunity, you know, then we'll have a greater impact on making our community safer. I do agree with you that, you know, when you, you look at the political side of this, um, it is political, but I, I don't think it's necessarily partisan. Uh, we certainly don't get the resources we need always, but, um, I think Republicans and Democrats alike, you know, see criminal justice issues. And if we're successful in what we do, I think that that is something that both sides of the political spectrum, you know, support. Well, it would make sense if they support it unless they just want that to be a wedge issue out there. Because what you do is you talk about the quality of life for people after getting caught up, but it could be saving people from getting caught up to know that right. these systems are there. Absolutely. And we, we have a whole set of programs that we like to call pre-entry where maybe we're working with people who are at risk for involvement in the criminal justice system and we can get them into employment and training programs to where they can make the kind of wages where, you know, it's not 
that they have options, that there are options free of the criminal justice system. And I, and I, and again, not to dominate the conversation, but being as familiar as I am with the ready for work programs and operation new hope, I, I would imagine they would share that same sentiment. Yes, yeah. definitely. And, and that's the voice of Kiara Rucker. I'm turning to you now because I love the sound of the, uh, the organization operation new hope. And that's exactly what people need is some hope out here, you know, given the, the economic situation. And that often gets a lot of young people caught up in the system. Yes, it does. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I know that Operation New Hope, we do assist those that have juvenile charges. And um, we're working on expanding our services to those to juveniles. Well, those 18 to 24 as well just to try to get that groundwork ready um, before they actually enter any type of institutions or anything like that. Just trying to break the cycle before it starts. That makes sense. Yeah. And similarly, we, we work with, you know, different jurisdictions of Pinellas County the same way as if, if we can take advantage of resources that already exist to work with young people, 18 to 24, and try to keep them out of the system I think that that's really an important um, subject that Kara brings up. Well, you know, in 2020, after the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, a lot of people moved into the streets to to say that this is a problem in how people get caught up. You know, George Floyd was uh, allegedly had passed a counterfeit $20 bill at a store and uh, the police shows up. After the store calls him, that's to me that seemed highly unusual. But it was even more unusual for this violence to ensue on the part at the hand of a cop. And so I see the police are an important uh, cog in the wheel of criminal justice, of course. And the idea that a lot of young people may be uh, just misunderstood oftentimes or the police don't have any patience for them and uh, we saw a story here locally where the police were just taunting a group of young men who had nothing to do with the takedown that just occurred so this is a this is an unfortunate thing but i know that a lot of people moved into the streets because this was something that was important to the country do you think we've come any further kiara on on the issue of of how young people are treated by police and how young people get caught up in the system. I wasn't, it's hard to really tell. Um, I know that right now there is a lot of spotlight on that more than I believe there was prior to all of these major events with George Florida, even going back to Trayvon Martin and mm-hmm. other things that are just kind of polarized right now. Um, I think it's just the social media effect is, kind of holding law enforcement accountable. Now it's just, you know, anyone can really record or, you know, just bring to the the light things that are going on, things that were kind of kept quiet or, you know, because all this stuff has been going on since, you know, the early 2000s, 90s, 80s, and so on and so forth. You know, I just believe that right now we we're able to hold law enforcement a little bit more accountable mm-hmm. because you can't just erase it. It's, it's out there. And now they just have to answer to it. So I, I don't know if it's really making too much of a difference. I think now it's just everyone's on the same page in a way. Everyone can yeah. see what's going on. Like that. And uh, 
Nessa, that's Kiara Rucker. Uh, she's a business and community engagement manager. And uh, we're also on the, joined on the phone by Michael Gelazo. He's part of the he's going to be part of this criminal justice event. That's the Tampa Bay Criminal Justice Summit. And that's coming uh, October 21st, I believe. Yeah. Um, you say it's a two day event, 20th and 21st. We're also joined on the telephone, and you can join us too. You can call at 813-239-9663 to join this discussion on criminal justice. This is another opportunity for the community to talk about this important issue that is often vilified, but is highly important uh, in terms of quality of life in this country. We're also joined by Attorney Douglas, part of a diversion program. Let's see if we can get him bring him in on this conversation as well. Attorney Douglas, are you there? You have what to say? Yes, I do. Good afternoon. Pardon me. Uh, and uh, I love to hear the conversation. You're working hard, brother, on a Sunday and a Monday. What day? <laughs> I'm the hardest working man at WWF. <laughs> 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 but all jokes aside, I'm so happy to have, have this conversation about diversionary programs. As an attorney here in Hillsborough County, I know I work tirelessly with the George Eskin Bar Association to help our young brothers and sisters who are inadvertently jammed up in the criminal justice system before they've had themselves a chance to run. But I do find it interesting how in Hillsborough County versus in Ellis and Pasco that there is not a standalone dedicated diversionary program that people can opt into without the resources. I know a lot of people do attempt to make contact with my firm or a few other NAACP outfits, but the summit is going to be a wonderful opportunity. Can you touch on locations and areas where people could hopefully go and reach out for some diversionary opportunities still in Bay here in Hillsborough County. Uh, either one of you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Attorney Douglas. Is there well, any I, local? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, mean, I, I would say this based on, you know, what the attorney and what Kara said. I, I, I do think that there are initiatives, right? I mean, I look at even putting greater focus on mental health and that I can say like in Pinellas, uh, both Sheriff Gualteri, Chief Holloway, who's the chief of police in St. Petersburg, have actually started hiring staff, I mean, in, in two different programs where they're hiring mental health professionals to assist law enforcement to look at some of the, you know, you know, when they're dealing with people who might have mental health issues, you know, have some experts there to work with people who might, say, have a dual diagnosis and try to divert them from... Uh, you know, getting arrested as the only means of, of uh, an answer. I, I do think that there are more programs now than there ever have been. Could we do more? Absolutely. One of the links that we've tried to make and something we'll talk about at the, the summit is on the workforce side, really pushing with CareerSource Pinellas and CareerSource Tampa Bay, which are going through a merger process, to take advantage of Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act funding, or WIOA, to look at 18 and 24 and 25 and above as well, but to look at younger people and, and really be able to do things like on-the-job training where they're getting paid while they're getting certifications, that we're, we've, we've really made progress where there never was progress um, in, you know, in the last couple of years to get people training, but not just say, hey, go to class for three months, you're going to get paid while you learn. And get on the job training. So I think that there have been responses. Is it enough? Probably not. But is it? Are we going in the right direction? And it's hard for me to say that we're not. I mean, there's been such a commitment um, in our region 
and I'm not going to speak for Hillsborough. We do some work in Pasco as well, but um, that there's been some efforts to really try to do more to not just in diversion or diversion programs, but also fundamentally looking at things like, you know, the workforce system exists to, to give second chances a legitimate way forward. We've had programs where we're building tiny houses. As I mentioned, we stack certifications, and we're putting people to work before they graduate, and we're putting people to work at, you know, $17, $18 an hour and above that, you know, it's not the greatest money in the world, but it's it's really not bad starting out. Right. And, you know, if we can take a, a, a complete approach toward whether it's housing or subsistence needs, we're seeing greater impact. Would we like to see greater impact with bigger numbers? Uh, absolutely. But I think we're, you know, where we were even at the beginning of COVID to where we are now, there has been some improvement for sure. Yeah. But certainly people need second chances and uh, because, you know, we don't lock people up forever and ever, not, you know, for most crimes. And uh, people do come back home and reenter back into society. And uh, if they find no hope, that usually is the cause of recidivism going back. Uh, but, Kiara, people also need the first chance, you know, and uh, we know that people if we maybe targeting younger kids um 12 and 13 years old with these kinds of uh training opportunities also does that help definitely you know and 95 percent of the people that are incarcerated they're going to be released so there needs to be some type of plan for them once they're out so that way they don't recidivize you know so that that's where operation new hope comes in you know, we do try to target the youth, but our primary focus right now is those that are returning home because there are plenty of people that are returning home. So we provide those wraparound social services as soon as you're released, you know, housing, mental health therapy, employment services, vocational training. So that way we give you all the tools necessary so that way there's no excuse as to why you can't partake on that second chance. So, yeah, a lot of people are... They don't have that first chance just simply because of the, the circumstances of where they live, how they grew up, and the odds are just against them from the beginning. And you're going to mess up because that's literally you're given the tools to mess up. But then when you're incarcerated, you spend that time down and we have our pre-release case managers that will, you know, assist you while you're in prison and you're getting ready to get out and, and share that plan that I guess kind of like a, a dream. Like, you know, they sit down and exactly the skills that they already have, any aspirations they have or anything like that, and we'll match them up with different employers that are in our database so that way as soon as they're released, they go through our training and they're on their they're on their way to having gainful employment. Yeah, and that, that means better quality of life for, for them, for their community, for their family. Exactly. Uh, anything else in terms of either your programs that you want to add that we may have overlooked? Um, yeah, well, so we do, we assist with housing, you know, about mm -hmm. several months of housing as soon as those are released. And then um, those that come into our program, they're assigned a case manager, a mental health therapist, and a job coach that they can utilize for a year. So even though our ready for work training is only three weeks, they can use our resources with transportation, housing, mental health therapy for a year. 
Um, you know, we have family reunification courses. We conduct mock interviews. We have employers come in and do on-the-spot interviews. Um, it's just mm -hmm. a, a program, all the tools needed to get back out there. Yeah, and I, I would add, I would add for us, we have a similar program called Success Training and Retention Services, or SARS, where, you know, very similarly, we're really trying to get people ready for work, understand what being to work at nine o'clock means, eight forty-five, and how to, you know, how to interview, how to be on time, how to communicate effectively. That when we're we're trying to help people be ready for work. And not just not just the skills training. We try to do that even with some of our programs pre-release. We do work directly with a community release center in South St. Petersburg for people releasing to both uh, Pinellas and Hillsborough, so that you know when they go to work that they keep a job, that they understand what it takes to grow in a in a, in a job, so that it's a a career pathway versus you know just you know punching a time card that we you know we have a chance like. In our tiny house program, they're walking away with five different stack certifications like OSHA 30 and NCC, our core, carpentry, workplace readiness, uh, an intro to manufacturing. And then we work with employer partners in the Bay Area. And it, we're at a point now where they know we have a group graduating. They're chomping at the bit to interview them and, and try to put them in, you know, those kind of career pathway opportunities. Um, you know, it's... There, there's there's not a, a secret sauce to this. If you know when you're working with returning citizens, if we can do some work pre-release and make that post-release, uh, you know, stabilized with housing, with you know basic resources, but they've also got training and they also have employment, then you know we see much greater success rate. And I and I like that you keep talking about the quality of life because that's really what it, we have to take a comprehensive, full approach towards this. It's not just getting someone a job. You know, it doesn't help to get you a job if you don't have a stable place to live, if you don't have a way to, to pay your, your, your initial bills right out of, you know, incarceration and making sure you have food in the, in the kitchen while you get to work, too. If we don't take that complete approach, you know, the, the clients we're working with are going to struggle, and, that's, and that, that's kind of our goal is to take that complete wraparound approach. And I know that that's similar to what Operation New Hope does you know, and, and, you know, we certainly are excited to talk about this at the uh, summit. Well, for the both of you, what I want to know is before we get off the air, I probably should ask this first. And that is about society's prejudices when it comes to anyone they find out has had a record and won't give them a job. In spite of all your work and preparation, they still find this uh, this wall of prejudice out there. Yeah, so I know with myself, part of my position is going out and updating, uh, updating our employer database. So a lot of times I'm just going out to different employers and asking if they are fair chance um, hires. And, you know, it's very mixed. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, but there are prejudices out there, you know. And I know we like to kind of use ourselves as leverage for our clients because, Going through our program, it shows dedication. You know, you have to come come to our program 9 a.m. to 3, Monday through Friday. We treat it like a job. You have to be on time. At the end of the week, you receive a stipend. Um, and then once I tell them that, then they're usually like, okay, yeah, we'll give them a chance. But sometimes there's also that disconnect where I'll speak with a business owner, a VP, someone just higher up in the 
chain and they're all for the program and hiring our clients. But then there's this this disconnect with human resources where they're like, no. And and I get it because they're trying to protect their brand, protect their company. But then you have to throw in, well, they're federally bonded or you get this tax credit or something just to try to incentivize. Yeah. Yeah. Plead their way in. And there's this, you know, sometimes they don't even care about that. And it's just, they just see that blemish no matter how long ago it was. Or sometimes it's, oh, you have to have a clean record for at least 10 years, which is, you know, that's a long time to just not right. mess up any time. So it's definitely out there. Um, I would say post-COVID, things are a little bit more lax because people really just need workers. Right. And, you know, there's just this population that completely qualified and ready to work, but just that one thing on their background, and they have, like, a scarlet letter on them, unfortunately. Yeah, my, my response to that is that we're really in what uh, I, I would say in a, a very interesting moment in time because a lot of the, you know, businesses we work with are so desperate for people that, you know, we're in a, one of those sort of swings where they're willing to at least hear about, you know, someone's charges and understand that, Maybe they don't want someone with a lot of violent charges, but if they're drug charges and someone's been in, you know, rehab or mm-hmm. or they can make an argument for themselves that there's more opportunity right now than at times when we've had, you know, higher uh, higher unemployment rates. Um, so it, it is a unique period of time right now. But does the prejudice exist? Sure, it does. I, I think that in a lot of ways it's harder harder for us in housing than it is um, getting someone a job because, you know, it, the, the rents are, have gotten so high and there's just not enough capacity, but that has become kind of a bigger challenge. I mean, we have a housing program that's got probably about a 20, last time I checked, like 25 person waiting list. Um, you know, we we're full and, you know, and I, you know, so I, I think that that's a bigger I think there's a lot of big challenges here, like transportation, like mm-hmm. have place to live, um, and certainly the prejudices of of having a background um, are are significant in different ways, not just in getting a job. And you'll have some employers who just don't want to work with people and give second chances, but we're seeing that at least at this moment in our experience in the Bay Area, um, there's just so many job openings and not enough people applying that, uh, you know, it's been a little bit different that way. Yeah. Uh, let's see if we can grab one call. It looks like someone is trying to call. We're talking with uh, people who are going to be on a panel that uh, is going to be dealing with criminal justice issues, and we've been trying to cover the gamut of all of the issues that are faced by people who are caught up in the system, and uh, our guests have been talking about their uh, the quality of their lives after getting caught up in a system, the criminal justice system. We were talking to uh, Kiara uh, Rucker uh, of Operation New Hope and Michael Gelazo. And uh, we're going to be a few more minutes, so we're going to try to take this call real quick. Go ahead, caller. Keith, you're on Community Speaks. Hi, folks. How are you all doing? I'm concerned about the reentry process that you're speaking about and uh, wanted to just share the opportunity is available for anyone coming out of the prison system to use the prison prior to getting out that needs that reentry assistance. The Florida Department of Corrections has set up 
to uh, assist all of those that need this and can help uh, end the crisis that's going on with the housing if they get it done prior to getting out, not after getting out. The, uh, I'm sorry, if they can get housing? The, the, the well, housing I, is available. I, if, I under, if I understood the question, the oh, sorry, go ahead. Reentry services that needs to be more facilitated for oh. those that's not being used. And again, I, I couldn't hear too clearly, but I will say that one of the issues that we're really pushing for is that we're able to do more pre-release work. Um, some state statute, and this is not a Florida Department of Corrections thing, but some state statute doesn't allow, for example, for you to apply for basic subsistence needs until after your mm-hmm. release. You know, so if we, we try to do as much work pre-release as we can, um, and we do partner with the Florida Department of Corrections across a number of programs where we're trying to meet with the transition officer. We're trying to, you know, put together individualized case plans for people who are coming back pre-release because all the data has shown that the more we can do pre-release and make a handoff post-release, the better success we're going to have. So if that's kind of the nature of what the caller said, I, I think there are efforts underway again. Just a lot of efforts, but with limited resources, makes it a challenge. All right. Go ahead, Kara. I know that we're also in 30 prisons in the state of Florida, and we have pre-release case managers that, you know, meet with those that are getting ready to be released, and they'll set up that and they need housing. That way, as soon as they're released and into our program, they already have it and everything needed as soon as. So definitely... We are aware that um, Florida Department of Corrections does have housing needs that are being met um, through. We're part of that. Okay. Well, we're completely out of time, so I want to thank you two for joining me here on Community Speaks. This is an important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, you too. And uh, this is Community Speaks. That's going to be oper- that's going to be a criminal justice summit on October twenty first here in Hillsborough County. And uh, you're going to have to go to the website and uh, Tampa Bay Criminal Justice Summit twenty twenty three to find out more information. Thank you for joining me here on Community Speaks. Surrender.